0: From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter.
1: Hello, welcome to Straight Talk. Know your eyes are not deceiving you. I am not Laurel Porter. I am Dan Haggerty. Thank you for being with us. Uh, Question for you. When you think about the port of Portland, what do you think about? Uh, You probably think of PDX, right? The airport. But it's a lot more than that. Okay, the port is a really massive entity. It actually has three airports, two others in Troutdale and Hillsboro, four marine terminals, which ship 11 million tons of cargo a year. That sounds like a lot. Is it a lot? We'll find out here in just a minute. And also five business parks, which house 400 companies. That also sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Uh, the port brings in nearly six and a half billion dollars a year to the region. So it's vital to everything that happens in this area. But now the port is looking to do some major overhauling selling off some properties or repurposing these properties it's all part of a new philosophy meant to spread the wealth with people of color the poor and the marginalized now in this episode of straight talk we look at how the poor i guess plans to do that how they're going to accomplish those goals we'll also dig into how the pandemic has impacted air travel at pdx and what the future looks like as we um, hopefully leave covid in our rearview mirror all right welcome my guests port of portland executive director Curtis Robinhold and Port of Portland Commission President Alice Kaprol-Komas. Thank you so much. We appreciate you being with us here on Straight Talk. Nice to have you both. So let's get started. And Curtis, I'm going to give you a heavy lift here off the beginning because the Port of Portland is one of those things I don't think people completely understand or kind of know the origins of. So can you give us a little history lesson, a brief one on the port and, and make it exciting? Okay.
0: New bed. I'll do what I can. Uh, thanks for having us, Dan. Really good to be here. Uh, the port was formed in 1891, originally to dredge the Columbia River and enable the movement of uh, goods from Oregon to get to market. Really, wheat, uh, timber, uh, and, uh, you know, effectively over the years, our mission expanded to include, as you described, air travel and business parks. But... Uh, we're in primarily the tri-county area in portland and uh, the idea is really connect this market to international markets and to other markets in the united states through that connection with the river but also with aviation
1: now let's talk about one of the i think most prevalent discussions over all of 2020 and now into 2021 and that's the discussion around equity um and, and a fair opportunity for everybody in this community We constantly talk about on the news, uh, at least through all this period, the racist history that exists in the state of Oregon. Of course, it was founded as a whites only state. And there have been so many different examples of policy from then until now that 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 kept people of color back. that kept kept different marginalized communities marginalized. And Alice, I'm going to put this question to you. Uh, How do you see the port's history tying into all of that as we kind of look back at the history and how the port evolved to what we what we have now?
2: Dan, I think your question is exactly right in your introduction. Uh, Portland was founded as, I'm sorry, Oregon was founded as a racist state, and its structures and policies were built to last. We're living with them today, and I think uh, as we've made big progress towards equity in the state, I think there's progress to be made. In 2018, actually, so prior to the current discussion that we're having um, nationally around race and racial relationships, we uh, at the port uh, adopted, the commission adopted an equity policy that really asked the port employees to think about how um, our policies in our business um, benefited the community more broadly. And, and so we've been having that discussion since there's been a lot of work done at the port to really think about how we expand our business relationships, who our employees are what kind of employer we are, and so on. And I think we're ready for the next step there.
1: We saw, you know, I I, I know we're, we're doing the TV show right now, so you have to kind of have those those talking points, those bullet points. And we hear those time and time again, especially now, because as you said, uh, 2018, this you were ahead of the curve when it came to this conversation, but we hear a lot of entities talking, how are we gonna do this now? It, it, is it harder than it sounds? I mean, it, it sounds difficult, and I imagine that it could be even more difficult. What goes into, maintaining that that level of equity that you hope to hope hope to to accomplish here
2: well i'll start and then i'll turn it over to curtis to answer i think it's an everyday work uh, and and we will take one step forward and two steps back we don't expect that we have the answer or that our initial answers will be the right ones we will continue to work on this over time and i think it's really important to our community to spread the wealth and to really think about the economic impact of the port, which is, as you've noted, large. Um, how can we increase that? How can we benefit everybody? Um, We're not going to have all of the answers. We're going to have to engage community, and I think we've been doing that. We'll continue to do it. Um, Curtis has been, of course, and the staff have been more deeply involved in the work day to day, so I'd like him to, to respond to that as well.
0: Yeah, Alice. Uh, Dan, your question really about what what's the how is really important to us. We've got, you mentioned these different lines of business. We've got a, a big airport, which is the majority of what we do, At but these marine terminals and industrial properties. And we're really trying to think about not only who is on our staff and in leadership positions, do they feel welcome at work and engaged in the meaningful parts of the conversation around how we run the port, but also in our businesses themselves. An example, when we do a property on a, on a port property, Who gets to bid on that project? Who do those go to? What kind of jobs are they? Are they lifting people up out of poverty or are they continuing uh, sort of a a separation of the the rich and the poor? When we talk about equity, as you say, that you can touch on the bullet points, but that hard work of breaking up a lease or trying to figure out how you get into developing a certain type of property, it is really hard and it takes some time and uh, as Alice said rightly, we're trying to learn as we go here and to learn from others who have done this work in the past. But I'd also say for the port and our partners, for the people, I think it's pretty exciting. And it's, sort of, it's it builds on both this movement for racial justice that you rightly described, but also on an economic session and a, a once-in-a-lifetime uh, health crisis around the pandemic and really trying to figure out how we come out of this in a way that's better than we were in the past.
1: Have you already started to find some relationships that you necessarily didn't have five, six years ago?
0: Yeah, one really important part of this um, is how you engage with the community. And I think historically the port has been viewed, and I'd say in many ways rightly, as a place going to do what it was going to do and it would talk to the community afterwards about those impacts. And, and more and more now, we're trying to get engaged with the community at the front end, community groups and associations. One of our neighbors has been a really constructive, I'd say both critic and partner there uh, out near the airport, but we also have community partners like us who we're trying to learn from uh, in how they're building and engage with local contractors. You know, perhaps the biggest impact that people are familiar with And at PDX, as we think about new construction and building new projects, we've got folks helping us think about uh, how do people with disabilities engage at the airport and get around. Uh, So it's all those ways that you
1: lean in and listen more. Got it. You know, uh, speaking of of partnerships here, and Alice, I'll turn this one over to you uh, because you kind of have a unique stance here because we've seen this partnership at the airport when it comes to these these drive through vaccination sites right at the in the red economy lot and these have really been lifesavers figuratively and literally for people as they've gone in there to get the vaccine. And this is a partnership with OHSU. You are also the executive vice president and general counsel for OHSU. So I was just wondering, given your perspective, kind of um, knowing people on both sides here, how has that gone? What have you learned from the beginning until now? Because this is a first of its kind operation for anybody.
2: Sure. Uh, You know, it's this is a really exciting operation and you're right, I think it brings hope and, uh, possibility of change to so many people who've been living through the pandemic and feeling the effects of really not knowing when life was going to go back to what we thought of as normal Um, you know OHSU and the port are really unique entities in the state and so because of that I think we've always been in communication and partnership and have good relationships Um, and and through that uh, folks at the port connected with folks at OHSU about how can we use our um assets are facilities in a way that benefits the community more broadly um, from my perspective knowing uh the expertise and logistics that the port has and and for me understanding its um, facilities i thought it was you know a, a no-brainer i've been excited to be able to be out there um, volunteering with other ohsu employees as well as port employees and folks who come from the red cross to volunteer with us um you know that i I hear from everyone that it's just a seamless operation that it's an easy place to come get a vaccine and um, we hope that as soon as there's more vaccine supply available we have just hundreds of thousands of people vaccinated through that site.
1: Seamless, huh? Uh, That would be, I think, um, unique in the whole vaccine rollout situation because here at the news (laughs) on KGW, you know, we we spend a lot of time, you know, looking at what's going right and what's going wrong. And understandably, there are a lot of things that have been going wrong. Um, And it's because this is such a once in a lifetime, hopefully kind of situation that that people uh, are experiencing and trying to navigate through. Um, What have you learned, I think, you know, through this process that could help us in the future. You know, maybe it isn't giving out vaccines, but something, a partnership of this size, working this quickly with this many people in the the community has to be able to be transferable in some ways.
2: Absolutely, and I'll let uh, Curtis speak to that, but I wanna make sure that uh, I'm not minimizing the difficulty of getting an appointment, for example, for a vaccine, and the anxiety that people are feeling about whether we have enough vaccine for them, for the community in general. Um, and where it's available and how soon they will be able to get their own vaccine. Uh, When I say seamless, I think I'm really referring to the partnership has allowed us to use a facility that is clearly not intended for this purpose, um, but we can get cars in, we can um, get people registered for their vaccine, have the vaccine done, make sure that they are not um, having ill effects from the vaccine and out in a relatively short period of time. And I think that's fairly unique um, you know, the relationship that we have with the port and OHSU is fairly unique across the country, frankly. Um, I, I'd like Curtis to speak to the logistics of it because, again, the the port's logistics expertise has been key to that.
0: Yeah, Thanks, Alice. You know, the, the thing that was really interesting at the site, Dan, was that uh, this started with a bunch of people who live here and said, hey, we could probably be helpful. What would we do and how do we get this thing rolling? And I you know, I, I think it's a great Oregon story, just to sort of end And one of the things that we tried to do out of the port, we are not healthcare experts. We move people and products around. And so we were really able to step in on the logistics and say, how do you move cars through here? Uh, we're doing about 4,000 a day on, um, 4,000 vaccinations a day out at the red lot when it's open. Really the constraint now is both vaccine availability and eventually, uh, we're going to have a constraint around the healthcare profession needed for this process. But uh, for example, FEMA, the Federal Sea Management Agency, was out this last weekend trying to see how we, we are doing it and how do we learn from it and apply it to other sites. And our own teams, Red Cross and OHSU and the port, every day when it's over, sit down together and say, how can we make it better tomorrow? And, uh, I know some people have had some long waits out at uh, the Red Lot, but You know, on average, it's about an hour in the front and out the back, and that is pretty impressive. And especially for people with mobility issues, it's created a really great alternative. So we're gonna get through this. We're gonna have to get vaccines in everybody's arms. And uh, that's sort of here is economic recovery will come with
1: vaccination. Well, we get a lot of emails from people in the public and we've gotten good reviews from that spot. If, if it means anything to you, the people who email in. Uh, Thank you. That's TKZW. great to hear. Yeah. So um, and you know what, Alice, we're going to end this segment right now. And I, I'd like to just get some final thoughts from you as we talk about the, the equity policy that was implemented in 2019, the future of the port and how how you feel about uh, about this community moving forward and the port's role.
2: Certainly. As, as I noted, I think that in the years since the policy, which was adopted in 2018, we've done a lot of work internally to think about our programs, how we do business in a better way that's more equitable. And I think our next step, what we're talking about now, is really how we deliver on the mission uh, in a more equitable way. How we think about what the port is intended to do and how it touches the community and who it benefits. And that's going to be big work Um, it's going to take us a long time we are at the process really at this moment of just thinking about how that works and doing an analysis as opposed to making decisions Um, I think honestly that the the community here in Portland and in Oregon more broadly will see huge benefits from this Uh, the port has always been a big economic driver in the region and will continue to, to do that
1: Alice, thank you so much. Thanks to to both of our guests. Uh, We're gonna end this segment. We're gonna be back after the commercial break. Of course, we're gonna have Curtis Robinhold, stick around and talk to us in a little bit. We're gonna talk about travel at PDX. And you know, this pandemic, I, I bet a lot of you haven't been to the airport in a long time. So we're gonna talk about how it's done with the airport and airlines in the future as we're back in about two minutes. We'll see you then. And welcome back. To Straight Talk, I am Dan Haggerty, filling in for Laurel Porter. We're going to talk about air travel now at PDX. Um, This pandemic, ask yourself, when was the last time you actually went to the airport? I'm betting a lot of you said, "Uh, it's been about a year or more. So what does this mean? What's it mean for the airport, the people who work there, the airlines? What does it mean for the future? let's bring in curtis robinhold again talking to us kind of keeping us up to speed on everything that's going on out there um he is the executive director of the port of portland so curtis what can you tell us first and foremost i mean give us the give us the pulse man what is going on at the airport considering the fact that that most people haven't traveled in about a year or more
0: yeah thanks dan it's true and I, i think that's not a bad thing um Really, passenger volumes are down almost 70% compared to this time last year, and that just means uh, everyone's being rightly careful. Things are slowly improving. In fact, there's an article just today, and I think the Washington Post, about people are beginning to book for the summer. They're thinking about fall travel, uh, and the, the real message is that the virus is in control here, so we need to focus on health and on uh, wearing masks and Really having travel be for very important, critical travel as opposed for leisure. But, you know, we're beginning to see that return. And I think as we move through spring break and into the summer, we'll be seeing numbers getting better.
1: How critical is it that people get back in the air, that, that people get vaccinated quickly, start to travel again and, and live their lives in that way? Because I, I can't imagine that a, a downturn of this degree isn't causing problems.
0: Yeah, it's been pretty devastating out at the airport. You know, there there are about 10,000 people that work at PDX every day in one form or another. And uh, while we're starting to see things shift, people really long to travel. For myself, I haven't been on a plane in a year, and uh, I find it really hard. I miss it. And some of that is just the human interaction that you get through travel. But we are expecting additional health-related processing requirements. I assume that passengers will again have to accept additional steps like we did at 9-11, things that change in the travel process. But uh, Out at PDX, 7 declines decline described has hit everyone, the, the small businesses that sell food in the terminal or the rental car companies, and as we know, the hotel and uh, restaurant businesses in Portland have really been hit hard. So... We're hoping that the return comes with vaccination.
1: How do you think, I mean, giving a, a letter grade maybe, you could say, how, quantify it however you'd like, but how do you think you've done? I mean, this, is, this has never been, this is, this, this is never on anybody's radar until it's smack dab in our lap and, and here we are experiencing it. Given that, how do you think that PDX has, has done in this pandemic to keep people safe and to continue to bring people to work and make sure that people can fly when they have to?
0: Yeah, well, you know, I guess the real test would come from people who've traveled. And I think most of that we're getting is it's been pretty good. It's felt safe. We're very strict about masks uh, in the airport. Um, Our airline partners, Alaska and Southwest and Delta, have been really good with us at communicating. And really, I think it's a a question of how much are we preparing people with the right information of what they're going to need, what kind of delays they might face. But then also, honestly, just as an organization with some heft, as many people working as we can and and see us through this phase, which has been pretty, you know, I'm optimistic that we can see how this ends now. We can get back to some sort of normal life, but it it is going to be a while still.
1: So uh, let's talk about Alaska Airlines. You mentioned them a moment ago. It's our, our airport's largest carrier, and they were one of the most kind of conservative carriers when it came to to safety. They made sure that they had those middle seats available for, I think, longer than most other airlines did. And I'm wondering, you know, how are they doing? How's the relationship there working out? Uh,
0: it's great. They're a great airline. You know, we're really lucky. I think as people know, in in the region that are our, our biggest three airlines you're right alaska horizon is by far our largest over 40 percent of trips through pdx are on alaska horizon but uh southwest and delta are the other two largest they're great airlines they're well run they're going to get out of this uh and they've been pretty strict about um protocols as well around covid so you know we just got to keep working together be patient and work through this process um, we have great communication with Alaska. You know, they're they're based up in Seattle, and we talk to them. I'd say almost every day. Uh, they've been really good partners with us as well as we think about the future of air travel at PDX and what our new airport and the construction we're undertaking right now looks like. They've been great partners in that regard. And you know, by the way, they're also sponsors of the Timbers. Uh, so, as a Timbers fan, I got it give them a shout out for that good choice.
1: That's okay, I'll, I'll allow that plug. No, there's no problem there. Um, you mentioned the construction. I mean, that's one thing that kind of floored me through all of this. There were there were some things opening up just as the pandemic was kind of going on that people just haven't seen yet. And of course, I think we have some renderings to show while you discuss this next bit, but there's a transformation plan right now um, that is going to have a, a new main terminal in the spring of 2025 that's the scheduled kind of uh, completion date there but can you talk a little bit about what's new at the airport for people who have not been there in a while
0: you bet well i expect most people have not seen the brand new concourse e extension we opened that last summer uh in 2020 home to six new gates for southwest it's beautiful uh really nice views of mount hood and uh, A Tillamook store uh, in the terminal, uh, a beautiful piece of art from Jacob Hashimoto who grew up in the Pacific Northwest. We really focused on local products. Um, 23% of our subcontractors were small businesses. It's a really great story, but it's only part of a much larger story as you described. We are expanding the main terminal by 150 feet, essentially creating more space Uh, using Oregon products, uh, Oregon workers, uh, and honestly, uh, hopefully we'll have an Oregon feel to it that people will recognize. So over the next couple years, we'll be working through those construction phases. Right now, we're really focused on health and safety and trying to both do the construction in a way that's safe for the people who are doing that work, but also keep people safe as they move through the terminal. But people will begin to feel some of that as we uh, move the pathways through to stay away from construction and continue to get people to their flights on time.
1: Yeah, I don't want to bring this up, but last year, I think Indianapolis like edged out PDX for the country's best airport and some poll that people pay attention to. And uh, it was like the first time in like a decade or something that Portland had lost out. So there's a, is that a bit of this? So we're, we're making a comeback. We want to go back to first place.
0: You know, uh, we won seven years in a row and we had to decide in about year five if we were gonna go for a big uh, redevelopment or not. And so we knew that it would be a little harder to get through the airport while we were doing the construction, we're not panic-stricken at all. I I think as you know, Dan, people who live here uh, really value PDX and like it, and they don't wanna lose that uh, local feel, the local food, uh, the ease of, of, passing through the airport. And so we're really focused on that. And I think we're gonna build and develop uh, an airport that people are gonna be proud of and really feel connected to.
1: Even, even the great Super Bowl teams have to take a few years and, and rebuild the roster. You know what I mean? You can't coast on greatness forever. you got to rebuild a little bit. Let's talk about something that's, and we're, we're kind of, we're getting close to the end here, but I wanted to talk about something that's been just big nationally and in the state. And, it's, and when it comes to minimum wage, and uh, businesses that employ baggage handlers and security officers and many of the other employees at PDX are, are raising the minimum wage uh, from $15 an hour in July, it goes up to $16.55 and continues to go up so i I just wanted to get your take on that as we close out the show with about a a minute or so to go
0: yeah you know this is a a a piece of work that we started on a few years ago to try to raise the wages of uh those lowest paid employees in the airport it's also an incredibly diverse group of employees Um, it's challenging for us to do because there's a statewide exclusion on governments Creating a new minimum wage. I would like to see an increase in the minimum wage more broadly, uh, statewide. I know it's also a national conversation. I think that would be very helpful. Uh, but at the airport, what we've done is worked with the airlines and our contractors on site. They're essentially not for employees, but they work for airlines to make sure that those wages are moved up uh, gradually, at, but uh, certainly, and then are also tying those wages to an increase in
1: us. Curtis Robin thank you so much. I appreciate your time today. As always, you're always a good guest on the show, filling people in and letting them know. Also, uh, in our first segment, uh, thank you again to Port Commission President Alice Capril uh, Comas. So thanks to both of you. We appreciate everybody listening and watching. Of course, uh, this is a podcast as well as a show, so you can download this anywhere you listen to your podcast. Listen to it, listen to it in the car, in the drive to work, something like that. We appreciate your time. That's straight talk
2: for this week. We'll see you back here soon.